Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Uh, All right, so we are in uh, week six of a series called Renew, which is actually our theme for the year. I hope that you've been getting something out of this. Uh, More than anything, I hope that you are beginning to receive healing um, from your past and that you are developing some new ways of thinking. Uh, We've been doing a deep dive into Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul told us, he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And I'm not going to review extensively all the things we've talked about, but these three words, conform, transformed, and renew, are very important. Do not conform. That Greek word there is schema. And he's talking about our, uh, that it's translated into habitus, which is not a word we use very often, but he's talking about your way of being. Don't allow your way of being to be formed into, into the way that the culture does things. But be transformed. That word is metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. And it's talking about transforming from being one thing into a completely different thing. We've talked about caterpillar to butterfly, tadpole to frog. He's saying don't allow your way of being to be formed or conformed to the pattern of this world, but change from who you are into who God wants you to be. And you do that by renewing your mind. And the word renew there is talking about a complete renovation or a change for the better. And it comes from a root word that means to grow up in the way that you think. It's time for us to grow up in the way that we think. Again, I'm not going to take time to review all of the material. I highly would recommend uh, and encourage you to go back to the podcast or to find it on YouTube and just listen to the past few weeks because, honestly, I believe that this information is life-changing. I'm convinced now more than ever that if we will change the way that we think, that our lives will be changed. One of the most impactful parts of this series for me has been, again, talking about the conforming aspect, aspect, that it's not just the way we think, that it's literally our way of being, right? If we are going to be spiritually and emotionally healthy and mature, we have to come to a place that all of our doing for God flows out of our being with God. We have to slow down and stop doing more than our being can sustain. God hasn't called us to burn the candle at both ends. He hasn't called us to a life of exhaustion and worry and anxiety. He's called us to a place of rest in Christ, a place that our work for God flows from our relationship with God. Now, last week we talked about ungodly beliefs or what we called ungodly scripts. Did anyone do a thought audit this week? Did you think about what you were thinking about? Three people. Perfect. If you did, if you did think about what you were thinking about, let me see your hand. Let me see who's... Good, it was three people. I was right. Uh, Did you think about or did you notice any patterns in the way that you think? Did you notice any triggers where would a certain event or maybe even a certain time of day or a certain thing when you you certain people, whatever you get around, something happens, you're more triggered than usual. And your thought pattern goes instead of being able to renew your mind, you're kind of off path. Did you notice that those things were affecting the way that you think? Let me give an example from my own life. When I'm presented with a church-related problem, um, my default, the first thing that comes to my mind is, and remember last week, and we'll cover this in a second, where um, we said that Satan often speaks in first person. 
So when something church-related happens in a kind of a negative fashion or problem that I'm faced with, my default thought, the first thing that comes to my mind is, quote, I'm a bad leader. The first thing that comes to my mind, if you were a better leader, then this wouldn't have happened. And I've said that obviously not to gain sympathy, but as a real-time example of a trigger and a response. Something negative happens, the response immediately comes to my mind. And since I know I'm vulnerable in those situations, I surround myself with people who can encourage me and speak truth into my life. And when we allow our thinking to align with or to conform to, to use Paul's words, to our circumstances instead of what God's word says, it creates what we called last week ungodly beliefs. Now, here's the definition if you're wondering what that is. Ungodly beliefs are anything that we believe that is not in agreement with God's word his nature, or his character. Amen. All right, anything that we believe that is not in agreement with God's word, his nature, or his character. Now, this includes all of our belief systems, our, the decisions that we're making, our attitudes, agreements, judgments that we make over ourselves and over people, our expectations, vows that we make, oaths that we swear, things that do not agree with God's word, his nature, and his character become an ungodly belief. In its simplest form, an ungodly belief, they come from lies that we have believed. Now, lies by definition are contrary to God's word, his nature and his character. Last week, we talked about Romans 23, 19, just a brief description of God. What it said, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Then we contrasted that with the words of Jesus as he describes Satan in the New Testament. When he says he, meaning Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. God is not a man. He does not lie. Satan cannot tell the truth. So again, think about how Jesus describes him in this verse. The root of every lie that's ever been told can be traced back to Satan. It's impossible for Satan to speak the truth. Jesus said that there is no truth in him. He's a liar and the father of lies. And again, I know that this is a strong statement, but when we embrace ungodly beliefs, we are aligning ourselves with Satan. We are subtly and sometimes unconsciously placing our trust in the word of Satan more than the word of God. And our enemy, the enemy of our soul, wants nothing more than for us to believe the lies that he's telling us. Because remember we said last week, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. It doesn't have to be true, but if we believe it as truth, it will affect your life as if it were true. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need the things that he tells us or things he says about us to actually be true. He just needs us to believe that they're true. Now, listen, I'm not a guy. I know I've been talking about Satan a lot today. (laughs) I'm not a guy who thinks that there's a demon under every rock. And every time something bad happens, it was the devil. Right. Sometimes we're trying to cast the devil out when really what we need is a little more self-control. I said that last part for me, not for you. But uh, (laughs) but if you identify with that, then I accept your amen. (laughs) Ungodly beliefs come from experiences most often. And these experiences create what's called a belief expectation cycle. All right, now this is how this works. Our beliefs are formed out of experiences. These beliefs lead us to an expectation that similar things will happen to us. These expectations of life shape our behavior and affect the behavior of other people. 
And these behaviors lead to repeated experiences that continue to reinforce our beliefs. And then if the experiences are negative, they lead to an ungodly belief, unrealistic expectations of life, and negative behavior. All right, now let me give you a couple of practical examples. We talked about some stuff last week, um, and, but I'm not going to rehash all of those. All right, if you guys heard the legend of the, of the baby elephant, I, I'm not 100% confident of the validity of all of this, but the principle is true, so I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, most of you, or at least some of us, have heard the story of the elephant. When he is a baby, he's tied to a small rope to a stake in the ground to keep him from moving around. All right, so the elephant will pull and tug and wrestle until he finally gives up, realizing that he's unable to break through or break free. But that baby elephant, how many know, doesn't stay a baby? He grows. And at full size, he would surely be strong enough to break free from that small rope, but instead he believes a lie and he remains held captive. And I don't know what the history is of back in the day of circuses and all of this stuff when they used to do things, how that works. But I can say with 100% assurance that this is exactly what the enemy does to us. Let me give you another example. We can all relate to this. Uh, you've, how many of you have, have either seen or, or installed an underground electric fence for an animal? Anyone ever, ever uh, keep your dog in a, in a yard with an underground fence? You don't even know what I'm talking about? It's my mic working out. Anybody ever peed on an electric fence? So. All right, just trying to reel you in. I don't know. I feel like. It's not good. If you haven't done it, don't try it. Or maybe you should. I don't know. If you got a big brother and you were raised in the country, then you have done that, probably. <clears throat> All right. All right, so here's what happens. For those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, you dig a little, a little trench or a, around the yard, and you place an electric, uh, you know, some wire around there, and it's electrical shield. The dog wears a collar around his neck, and every time the dog tries to cross that underground fence, he receives a shock. And it trains the dog to stay inside the parameters that you set. All right? It's kind of sad the first time they run into it. You know, they're squelching and all that kind of stuff. But over time, they stop trying to cross this invisible fence, right? Because their experience led to a belief, which led to an expectation, which led to behavior. Behavior said, my behavior was modified and changed. If, I, if my behavior, if I go over this fence, I'm going to receive a shock, right? So the belief becomes so ingrained that that electric fence, you can actually turn it off over time. After a dog or an animal has been shocked so many times, you can turn the fence off. And when they approach that boundary, even though there's no danger to them whatsoever, they will not cross it because they believe the lie that the fence is there. See, we become prisoners of the lies that the enemy tells us. And when we do, we miss out on abundant life because we believe that we can never have it. We crave close relationships, but we're paralyzed by the fear of rejection. We want to try something new, but we believe that we're destined to fail no matter what we do. We long to be debt-free and to give more generously, but we feel confident that that can never happen to us. It only happens to other people. We dream of exercising and being healthy physically, but we're convinced that we'll simply fail again because we've failed so many times in the past. We want to change the way we think, but we think that we never can. 
So many of us are trapped in an ungodly belief expectation cycle. But God wants to break the cycle. He wants to give you a cycle of life for generations to come. Don't pass your negative ungodly beliefs to your children. Don't hand your children the ungodly script that Satan has handed you. Let's allow the power of the Holy Spirit to break these cycles. It's time to flip the script of those things that are coming through that the enemy is speaking to us. Paul tells us not to conform, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then 2,000 years later, Science comes along using modern technology confirming what Paul told us in the first century. I love that as Christ followers, we don't have to be afraid of science. I mean, since God is the one who designed everything in the first place, any attempt by his own creation to discredit the creator will ultimately fail. We're going to get scientific just for a minute. And let me say, as you probably already know, I'm not an expert on how the brain works. I'm just trying to get mine to function normally most of the time as a task. So the information that I'm about to share is just done from research, from, uh, from books that I'm reading, uh, some other credible sources. Uh, being trapped in an ungodly belief, in an ungodly belief expectation cycle is a lot like being in a rut. Anyone ever been in a rut before? Right. We've all experienced being in a rut, whether literally or figuratively. We know what that feels like. Right. We're thinking the same thoughts, doing the same things, experiencing the same problem. I read a story that there's a road sign in Alaska that says, choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 60 miles. I don't know if that's true. Meryl can, can confirm or deny that. So apparently what happens is the snow begins to melt and the roads become muddy. And as cars drive on them, then a rut is created in the soft mud. And that can go for miles. And once you're in that, you're not getting out. So when the rut gets deep enough and your tires sink all the way inside, you can actually let go of the steering wheel because it's going to keep you going in that direction. Once you're in a rut, it's pretty much you're in it until the rut ends. Similarly, we experience something like a rut in our brains. Every thought that we have produces a neurochemical change in our minds. Now, remember, we talked about this back in August a little bit when we talked about joy. How choosing a life of joy can actually change your health. It can be a, a cure for depression and anxiety when we choose to live a joyful life. So when we have thoughts, a neurochemical change happens in our minds. The brain is the command center that directs the parts of our bodies through what's called neurons. Neurons link together to create messages, all right? I mean, I know you've all heard these analogies of our brains like a you know, computer and all that. It's just insane, really, how it works. The same message that's sent multiple times creates what's called a neural pathway. You guys tracking with me? A neural pathway makes it easier for our bodies to send that same message again and again. So in essence, a neural pathway is like a rut in your brain that allows that message to go to and from easily. All right. So a rut is formed. Right. So think of a neural pathway as a rut in your brain. So a rut is formed when the same path is taken over and over again. Right. In the natural, in your brain, whatever. Right. We've all seen a path of dirt. Right. Cutting through some thick grass where a dog will just go back and forth or where people will walk or Whatever, they create these ruts in the grass. In a similar way, 
Repeated thought patterns create paths or neural pathways or brain ruts. All right, hang with me just a couple more minutes. We're going to move past this. All right, this is actually really important to understanding the ungodly scripts that are in our lives. All right, take just like a heavy truck will make a deeper rut than a small car. Our brains also have heavy trucks, so to speak. All right, there's a bundle of nerves at the base of our brain stem, and it's called the reticular activating system. Anybody ever heard of that? RAS for short. All right, so the RAS sifts through millions of pieces of sensory data that are being sent to our brains, and it groups them according to relevance and similarity. All right, so the information will keep us, the, what the RAS does, the information is supposed to keep us alive. It will avert danger. It'll bring pleasure. When those things happen, RAS is activated. All right. So it's making this rut in our brain. The RAS system, it also acts as a screening agent. So anything that doesn't fit the parameters given, it filters out. All right. The RAS is what allows you to be in a crowded room with people are talking and someone say, hey, Randy, and my because there's a deep rut where my name has been spoken so many times, I can pick that out of a bunch of noise. You've ever been in that situation before? All right, so the RAS works as a screening agent. This is why thinking new thoughts or trying new things is awkward the first time, because there's no rut. How many of you have tried to change something that, you know, you've been doing a certain way so many times, you try to change it and it just feels weird? Or you try to learn something new as an adult. It just, it's awkward and it's weird because there's no brain rut. There's no neural pathway. But over time... By repeating the same thought or action, the RAS begins to filter out all of the things that make that action inefficient. Right? Our brains are designed to create neurological pathways that make it easier to keep thinking the way that we think and to keep doing the things that we do. Right? I'm thinking about like scales on the piano. Right? So I have a neural pathway that knows certain notes don't go with certain things. Right? So just in a, like if, if I tried to teach you a scale, I could teach it to anybody. Like if I told you to talk to you the, the C scale, there's no, you know, black notes, it's just all notes start on C, you end on C. So. All right, so I know, I know what the notes are that go with that, right? But if I start trying to add another note, like it just doesn't fit, right? So my brain has a rut that says the, only, the notes that go with this... Right, I messed a couple. Sorry, I've got a, a fault in my brain rut. So I know. So when I'm playing, and that's why sometimes, you know, like Adrian and I are not ter- pretty terrible at this. I, when I hit that bad note while I'm trying to play, like my face is like, ugh, ugh. It's, right? it's like I got shot collar trying to get out because I'm getting out of that parameter. So if you play an instrument, you, you get those, and that doesn't happen immediately. Right. It doesn't happen like that comes from like years and years. Right. I mean, anybody in here could learn the C scale. But learning when I'm in the key of G or the key of F or the key of B flat or whatever, all of those parameters change. And there's a rut in my brain. The RAS, the, the reticular activating system blocks out and it says, don't hit that note because it's no good. And it keeps me efficient as I begin as I begin to play. All right. Is this, does that make sense? Our brains are literally, they've literally been designed by God to take the path of least resistance, to support our belief system. Now, how this translates into ungodly beliefs is this. For instance, you might develop a a victim mentality that everyone is out to get me. 
right? I'll never, I'll never have a steady job or long-lasting relationships. And what's literally happening is our RAS is looking for evidence that supports that belief. It's creating this rut, and it's blocking out all the other things in our brain that would tell us differently. It begins to filter out any and all evidence that doesn't support the belief that I'm a victim. This is why breaking out of old ways of thinking is so difficult. Right? We often have years and years of developed neural pathways or ruts in our brain. And just like the sign says, choose your rut carefully because you'll be in it for the next 60 miles. We get trapped mentally. And this is important because we need to understand the enemy that we're against. Paul tells us that we're fighting spiritual forces. We know that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus told us that. We said last week that he often speaks in first person. And so when we have thoughts and then corresponding words that start with I and end with something negative, we know that they're from, in, from the enemy. I'm a failure. I'm a bad father. I'm a bad mother. I'm a victim. I'll never get ahead. I'll never get out of debt. I'm so bad with money. I'm such a procrastinator. I'm always rushing. When we begin to think this way, right, we know that we're fighting. We know that we already know we're fighting the spiritual enemy. But here's what Satan does. He's so crafty and so like... What he's trying to do is he, he not only is, is throwing thoughts at our minds, he's causing our literal bodies to work against us. Because God created neural pathways to be a good thing. But Satan has figured out a way to not only attack us spiritually, but again, to use our bodies and our brains against us. All right, so here's some examples of how this might happen. Maybe as a kid, uh, your mom's answer for everything was food. Right? When you cried, you got a bottle. When you fell as a toddler, you skinned your knee. The answer wasn't a Band-Aid. It was ice cream. When went through high school, you go through a terrible breakup. You come home. Your mom knows that you're, you're hurting. She makes you brownies. What's happening? Our brains are creating a neural pathway. It's a brain rut. And it says to us, if you're hurt, if you're angry, if you're sad, you should eat something. Make yourself feel better. Maybe in the first grade, you were picked last for kickball. And then your parents treated you unfairly, which it felt real similar to how it felt when you didn't get picked for kickball. Then you get a little older and your parents get a divorce. What's happening? Our brains are creating a neural pathway. We begin weaving together these unrelated yet somehow similar experiences into a story. And these stories become the script of our lives. I am a victim. And no matter what happens, my default in life is to feel like everyone is out to get me. I'm constantly waiting for the proverbial rug to be pulled out from underneath me. Neural pathways, ungodly ruts, ungodly beliefs, ungodly scripts. Okay, Randy, I get it. There's a lot of information. I could have got it by watching a TED Talk on YouTube. What does the Bible have to say about any of this? Well, I'm glad you asked. First of all, you can see ungodly beliefs all through the Bible. One of the easiest to recognize is the story of Moses when he's being called out of the desert in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. I'm not going to read this story now, but I'd encourage you to read that. Like in my Bible, I have UGB, ungodly belief. I can read Moses' response to, to, to God. God's calling him, and he's just, I mean, ever, ever few verses, ungodly belief, identity problems. He does not, it's so bad that God gets angry with him. And I think that's probably a point that we could put in. When we're living in a place of ungodly beliefs, God, in Moses' case, it made God angry. God's saying, I'm calling you to be this. And Moses is going, I'm not, 
So much so that the, at the end of it, Moses is like, please send someone else. He doesn't want to do it. And God gets angry with him. Anyway, I would encourage you to read that. Exodus 3 and 4. I'm not going to read it now. I want to look at the New Testament, a very popular passage of Scripture. Again, from Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Please notice the word demolish in verse three. Or in verse 4 and 5, demolish strongholds and demolish arguments. Remember the biblical word for the definition or the biblical definition for the word renew is to renovate. A renovate, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, renovation only takes place after the demolition. You don't come in to a place to renovate and just renovate. You have to demo something, otherwise it's not a renovation, you're just changing the furniture. You understand what I'm saying? Demolition. Look at the words. Paul says you have to demolish strongholds. If we're going to renew our minds, if we're going to renovate the way that we think, it's going to come first with demolishing some things. After we demolish the stronghold, we can then renovate or renew the stronghold. Because a stronghold, we look at it negatively, but in reality, it can be positive or negative. In ancient times, a stronghold was a fortress often built on the highest peak in the city. The stronghold was surrounded often by a reinforced wall that was up to 20 feet thick. And in times of war, if the city was attacked, the stronghold was seen as unapproachable or impenetrable. Political leaders would be hidden there to avoid being captured or or killed. Paul is comparing the lies that we believe to strongholds surrounded often by 20 foot thick walls. And over time, they get stronger and stronger. And we believe them for so long that they're now a part of us. They become part of our schema going back to Romans 12 too, our habitus, our way of being. King Solomon addresses this. Addresses the stronghold issue in the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 22. He said, one who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the stronghold in which they trust. We have to demolish the stronghold. In ancient times of war, it would do no good to destroy the city, but allow the political leaders to stay alive in the stronghold. The city would just reestablish itself because the leaders were hiding in the walls of the stronghold. Similarly, it does us no good to just try to change our behavior. If you want to change your life, we must attack the stronghold. In our case, the strongholds are ungodly beliefs, ruts, and neural pathways, these ungodly scripts. And that's why we keep repeating the same things over and over again. Self-help is good, but it's only skin deep. We have to attack the stronghold. Demolish the stronghold. What is your stronghold? What lie is holding you hostage? What mistruth is keeping you from taking a step of faith? What wrong thought pattern is robbing you of your joy and your freedom? I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle says, you cannot defeat what you cannot define. 
we have to begin to identify the lies that have become strongholds in our lives. And then we have to begin to demolish them. Once we do that, we can break the negative ungodly belief expectation cycle. We can begin to flip the script. All of those negative scripts and the thoughts that are creating these neural pathways that are holding us captive. And we can begin to live in true freedom. Going back to last week, we said we have to recognize the lie, remove the lie, and then replace it with truth. I want to close with a video. Um, anybody ever heard of Bo Eason? Safety from, from the NFL. He was a safety in the NFL in the 1980s. His first day of high school, uh, his first day of high school football practice, the coach told him that he was too small to play. And little did the coach know that he, that with the help of Bo's father, he was actually coaching a future NFL player. Uh, in this video, Bo shares the story, and I want you to notice the opportunity that he had for a negative script, but how they recognized the lie, removed the lie, and then they replaced the lie. And then he goes on to tell a story of a time where he was on the same team with uh, football great Jerry Rice. Anybody heard of Jerry Rice? And I want you to notice Jerry's script. And then we're going to come back and close this up. First time I ever played tackle football. First day of practice. They weighed and they measured us for the game program. Coach weighs and measures me, tells me I'm too small. My dad picked me up in his truck after practice. First day of practice. Picked me up. I got in the truck. He goes, how'd practice go? I said, the coach thinks I'm too small. I can't play. <laughs> and my dad said, Did they measure your heart? And I said, Dad, come on. My school doesn't even have one of them heart measuring things. <laughs> and he told me a story about a little puppy, some run to the litter. And that's the run to the litter story. He told me that I'm the youngest of six kids, and we lived on a ranch. And how we chose the dog to work on the ranch was we chose the runt every time because the runt had a bigger heart and tried harder. And they'd get rid of all the other puppies, but they'd keep the runt because the heart was there and they knew the runt would work. And he said, that's who you are. <sighs> defining moment, right? Simple story, defining, defines who I am. At the end of my career, I played for the Houston Oilers for four years. I played against a guy named Jerry Rice. He played for the San Francisco 49ers. Jerry Rice, the greatest football player ever to play the game, ever to play the game in the NFL. Jerry Rice. He's got more touchdowns. He's got so many more touchdowns than the guy in second place that no one can even get close to him. He's so great. I used to play against, directly oppose this guy all the time against him. Bad. Bad. <laughs> then... In, my, in between my fourth and fifth year, I get traded to the San Francisco 49ers. And now me and the greatest football player in the history of the game are on the same team. And I'm like, okay, I want to see what this dude's all about. So it's the first day of training camp. First day. Mind you, we're talking about generosity, correct? 
I had a deal with myself all my life, a little contract that I made since I was a little boy. And it was this, every time I practiced on a court or on a field or in a gymnasium, I was going to be the first one on that surface. And I was going to be the last one to leave that surface. And I kept it up 20 straight years until I got traded to the San Francisco 49ers. First day of training camp, I come walking out of the locker room early, right? First guy out, walking out to the field, this is mine. I look over, who's out? Jerry Rice. It doesn't make sense, does it? The greatest football player ever, ever, ever. And he's out before me. I said, all right, okay, so let's uh, practice. So an hour later, everyone else comes out, right? So we got 100 guys out there all trying to make this team. Me and Jerry Rice are veterans, right? We don't need to work hard at training camp. We're going to make the team. We're going to just do training camp, kind of go halfway through the half speed, through the motions. Don't get hurt. Don't do anything wrong. Just stay safe. All these other rookies got to hustle to make the team, right? So we're in warm-ups, right? The whole team's out there, warm-ups. There's a line right here of 16 receivers in a line, just like this. Jerry Rice is one of those receivers. Joe Montana is standing right there. And Joe Montana is throwing these receivers balls. And these receivers are warming up, mind you. So the first guy gets up and he does this. Joe snaps the ball, he takes off, half speed, breaks it off catches the ball and stops and he walks back to Joe Montana gives Joe the ball gets back in line next guy up same thing half speed breaks it off catches the ball stops walks the ball back to Joe Montana back in line then it's Jerry Rice's turn and I'm like okay let's see what this guy's gonna do and this is what he does. Whoo! Full speed. Bam! Breaks it off. Boom! Catches the ball. Boom! Gone. Runs. A hundred yards. Whew! Gone. We're all like, where's he going? I've never seen anything like that. All the way to the end zone. Turns around once he gets in the end zone, runs all the way back, full speed, hands the ball to Joe Montana, gets back in line. Next guy gets up. Runs a little out pattern, catches the ball, stops. Walks the ball back to Joe Montana. Back in line. Then Jerry Rice gets back up. Whew! Bam! 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 Again, gone over and over and over and over. He must have run 10 miles of sprints. I never seen anything like it. Over and over. And at the end of this three-hour practice, at the end of this practice, I said, I, I got to go up to this guy. I got to go talk to Jerry. I go, so I walked over there. I mean, I never seen anything like that. And I said, hey, uh, hey, Jerry, hey, man. Uh, what's the deal with that, man? What's the deal with all of that, uh, you know, running? I mean, why you do that? And Jerry Rice goes like this. Oh, Bo, that's very simple. I do that because every time these hands touch the ball, this body ends up in an end zone.
Is it, I'm going to be the first one on the field and the last one to leave? The full story of that is so awesome, where his entire career from, from high school until the NFL, he never, no one ever beat him onto the field. Is it every time these hands touch the ball, this body ends up in an end zone? Or is it I'm going to accept the negative, ungodly beliefs that Satan is whispering? Now listen, I'm not, I'm not talking about thinking things into existence. This isn't about trying to create a life for myself that God didn't intend. Now, do, I, do I believe that God wants us to be blessed? Absolutely. Blessed to be a blessing. But God's not a genie in a bottle. We don't simply think or wish the things that we desire into existence. This is not some kind of mystical... That's not who we are, right? Well, I mean, what did Paul say? Romans 12, two, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And the reason I'm saying this is because a lot of times the pendulum swings so far that we begin to think, oh, I'm just going to think these things into existence and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that. Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? Materialism, self. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't conform to materialism or a life about self, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Whose will? God's. Renewing our minds is about bending our will to, to God's will. What neural pathway do you need to rewrite? In the book, Winning the War in Your Mind, Craig Rochelle says this, we need to dig a trench of truth. Anyone know the difference in a rut and a trench? Anyone know the difference in a rut and a trench? They look very similar in a lot of ways. A rut is created on accident with no purpose and unconsciously. But a trench is dug with intentionality and with purpose. We have brain ruts. The enemy is using our own bodies against us. He's whispering in our ear. And we've unconsciously, in a lot of ways, accepted these ungodly beliefs, these belief systems. But the time has come to stop just unconsciously walking the same path and to begin to take a new path and to dig a trench of truth. And we know that the truth is the word of God. Let's demolish the strongholds. Let's flip the ungodly scripts in our lives. Let's replace our ungodly beliefs with a new godly script or a godly belief and create a healthy, spirit-filled belief expectation cycle that we pass down for generations. God wants us to be free. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz. 